0: I'm really pumped and excited that we're starting a a new series this morning, Unshakable. And today I want to talk to you about what you do when your world is shaken up. We're going to be looking at the life of Daniel, one of the most amazing people in all of the Bible. His life started out uh, basically when we find him. He's a 15-year-old prisoner of war, and he goes from that to being at some point later in his life, like second in command of the entire known world of his time. And in this hostile environment, in this uh, pagan place, God just shows him not only how to survive, but how to thrive, how to succeed. And we're going to look at that over these next few weeks, and I'm really excited about it, because I know a lot of you this morning, your world is shaken up. And you're feeling that. Before we get started this morning, though, I want to give a a, a little plug to our men's ministry. I'm so excited about it kicking up. We've had ladies of Community of Faith every month for a long time. And now they're even changing their name to Sisterhood. And I'm pretty excited about that. That sounds kind of cool. But guys, we're starting a week from Thursday, same time as Sisterhood. We're gonna have the men of COF. We just got to come up with a good name. Somebody said the men's club. I thought about that. <laughs> I rejected that one. Uh, yeah, hey, let's go to the men's club tonight. You want Yeah. Oh, yeah. Let's go. Uh, so, uh, yeah. Be thinking of something. You know, I thought about man up or uh, somebody said elevate. I wanted to know it's the men though of COF. We might just be the men of COF, right? So. But I'm gonna be sharing with you from the the book of Ephesians uh, about how to live life in victory. Uh, Not this Thursday, but the next one, okay? And there's childcare. You're not stuck at home with the kids anymore, guys. You're gonna be here. The kids are gonna have a great place to be. You and your wife both can be here. Well, pull out your sermon notes because I think this is a really important one today that I want you to see. I don't want you just to go along in life and and try to make it in a hostile environment. I I want you to thrive. I want you to succeed. As your pastor, I feel like I'm kind of like a life coach to you in that sense. It's like my job, my dream for you is that you will succeed. So I want to talk about how we do that. It seems like the whole world is upside down today in so many ways in our culture. In fact, um, Isaiah thousands of years ago warned about this. Take a look on the screen. He says this to a culture. You're doomed when you call evil good and you call good evil. You turn darkness into light and light into darkness. You make what is bitter sweet and what is sweet you make bitter. He's saying you've kind of flipped everything. And a civilization civilization is is doomed. A culture is doomed that, that does that. It's not going to last. This actually happened 2,600 years ago to Israel, the nation of Israel had fallen into immorality, idolatry, idolizing all of these things that aren't God. And so God sent the prophets. One was called Jeremiah, another Ezekiel. There was another prophet by the name of Zephaniah. And Daniel was a young teenager when these guys came on the scene. And they were saying to Israel, hey, if we as a culture keep acting like this, we're going to lose our freedom. Guys, we just, we got to get back to God. You, we're going to lose our, our freedom. And sure enough, about 600 B.C., the emperor of the powerful Babylonian Empire invaded Israel. His name was Nebuchadnezzar. And he came in. He took over the entire nation of Israel. He took 25% of the Jewish people back as slaves to Babylon which is now Iraq it's right outside of where Baghdad is right now you can still see some of the the old ruins of this and it was they were there for 70 years it was a disaster They, they lost their freedom because they weren't paying attention to what God said the collapse of that culture shook almost everybody there was another guy during this time he wasn't a prophet he was a songwriter his name was Asaph he actually wrote About 12 of the Psalms, and let me just show you what he said about them during this time. Look at it on the screen. God stands up to heaven's court. He pronounces judgment on the judges. How long will you judges refuse to listen to evidence? How long will you shower special favors on the wicked? But you are so foolish and so ignorant because you're in darkness. All the foundations of society are shaken to the core all of the foundations shaken to the core sounds like today's news everything's being shaken has there been any time in our history that that we as a nation are so divided marriages are being shaken we look at families they're being shaken education shaken the foundations of our moral and ethical values are are being shaken so we're living in this upheaval and there's a lot of shaking going on and Now, I'm not here to talk about doom and gloom because the Bible isn't a book of doom and gloom. The Bible is the answer to that. And so that's what I want to talk to you about over these next few weeks. In the middle of shaking, and maybe you're going through a personal shakeup, whether it's a a marriage that's ending or, or, or a job that suddenly terminated or just whatever it might be, God wants you to succeed, not just survive it. So Daniel, he wrote this book. He wasn't a famous prophet when he starts his story. Covers 70 years of his life, age 15 to 85. He starts as a prisoner of war. He ends up as the second most powerful man in the world in the most powerful empire of his time. So as the 15-year-old Daniel watches the destruction of his nation and he's taken a prisoner of war, he's one of those 25% taken, and he's never going to see his parents again. And he's never going to see his homeland again. And he's never going to see anything that was familiar to him. He's going to live in a hostile, foreign culture. And the book of Daniel teaches us how to thrive no matter what. Let me just read you a little bit about what happened. In the third year of Judah's king, Jehoiakim's reign, King Nebuchadnezzar of Babylon besieged Jerusalem with his armies. Have you been besieged? Besieged by the problems in your life and you've got all this work and and, and 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 all these problems and you don't have the time and the money and it just feels like you're besieged with everything. Well, multiply that by about 10,000 and you've got what Daniel's feeling like, what the people of Israel, as this giant army encircles the gated, walled city of Jerusalem and besieges it. And it says this, God gave Nebuchadnezzar the victory. And you're thinking, what? God, I don't... I don't even understand what's going on here. He's not a godly man. He's he's a pagan guy and when Nebuchadnezzar returned to Babylon, he took with him the best sacred objects from the temple of God in Jerusalem and put them on display in his pagan temple of Babylon. What's what's happening? He's showing off. He's saying, "Hey, the pantheon of gods of Babylon, they're stronger, they're better, they're they're more than your puny god, Israel." He also ordered that the best young men of Judah be taken as captives to be brought to his palace. One of those happened to be Daniel. Select only the best looking, the strongest, the smartest men and bring them to my palace. It's interesting that we still judge the same way like brains and and, and brawn and, and, and beauty. Make sure that they're well versed in every branch of learning, that they're gifted with knowledge and good sense and have the poise needed To serve in my royal palace. Teach these young men the language and the literature of the Babylonian culture. So they basically put these guys, these young men, in an indoctrination program. They were to eat only Babylonian food. They were to be taught in the Babylonian educational system. And, And they're even given new Babylonian names. There's Daniel and three of his friends are talked about early in the book. Daniel... His name was changed to Belteshazzar. His his friend Hananiah was renamed Shadrach. Mishael was renamed Meshach. And Azariah was renamed Abednego. And so they're basically trying to take the Jewishness out of these teens. They're shaking things up. They're destroying the foundation. They're replacing the godly values of Israel with the pagan values of Babylon. They separated them from their parents their loved ones, their families, they're giving them new identities. You're now Babylonian. Let me ask you a question, if you're a 15 year old kid, would you say that your life has just been shaken up a lot? See, I I think Daniel knows what it means to have your life shaken up. And yet, during this time, as he goes from, through his life, and what we're gonna see in the book of Daniel, he gets promoted five different times He's outlasts three different empires. He leads two of those emperors to faith in God. Cyrus, the great, and Nebuchadnezzar both come to faith in God. He's just an amazing guy. And at 85, when he's retired, the, the, the emperor pulls him out of retirement and says, I need you again now in this desperate time and puts him second in command. It's a huge story. It's better than Star Wars for sure, all right? And... This thing is filled with adventure and political intrigue and for the next few weeks we're going to look at it. So what should you do when your world is shaken? When your world is shaken up by death or divorce or failure or bankruptcy or a hundred other things that could shake up and upend your life. How can you thrive in a hostile culture, a culture that's becoming hostile to Christianity? We're going to start this journey this morning with just three simple suggestions. And then we'll get into the actual life of Daniel next week, but this sets it up, okay? So the first suggestion, write these down. This is important that we know this. Number one, don't be surprised when your world shakes. That's the first thing we're gonna learn. Don't be surprised. Everyone was surprised. Daniel wasn't. He'd been listening to the prophets. He'd been listening to Jeremiah and Zephaniah and and, and saying we're gonna lose our freedom. Look at what the Bible says to us as believers, First Peter 4:12, my dear friends, do not be surprised at the painful test you're suffering, as though something unusual were happen- happening to you. God is saying that shakeups are a normal part of life in this broken world we live in. We're not in heaven yet. In heaven everything's perfect. no tears, no suffering. But on earth, everything, really, is broken because of sin. And we're the ones that brought sin as our ancestors, and we've continued it. We've got to admit that. But our relationships are broken. At some point in time, our bodies will probably be broken. There's things that go wrong with disease and all of that. Our minds are affected and broken. And so we shouldn't expect things to be perfect In fact, Jesus said it like this, in this world, you will experience difficulties, but take heart. I've conquered the world. I've told you this so that in trusting me, you will be what? Unshakable and deeply at peace. He said, don't be surprised. Don't be shocked. I I want you to be unshakable. I'm telling you now, so you won't cave in. The first thing that we do when problems come into our life is we look around for someone to blame have you noticed that and you know if it, if our spouse is close by that's real handy right but you know politicians look at them oh man everybody's blaming everybody for everything right that's the last thing we need to work on whose fault is it? as long as you're fixing the blame you can't fix the problem right so instead of asking whose fault is it you need to be asking what should I do in this you know, sometimes there are things done to us that cause us issues. Laura did a funeral yesterday of uh, Linda Carter, who was a lady in our church, and, and Laura became good friends with, and she was an amazing lady, but she could really be a piece of work sometimes. She had a personality disorder, and it was brought on by trauma in early childhood, and, and she knew it, and everybody knew it, but she, all her life she had to work through that. You know what? Laura was able to say yesterday, you know, in heaven, Linda... She doesn't have that anymore. When we get to heaven, we're going to see the real Linda. I'm excited about heaven because in heaven, I don't have to hang out with me anymore like I am, right? I I was talking to Laura a few weeks ago about this. I noticed like a character flaw in me that that some problems had brought out. And and it just became obvious to me. Laura probably had seen it for a couple of decades, I'm sure, you know. Uh, But she... Was sweet i not to mention it but I saw it and I'm going like I don't like this in me and Laura's probably going like thank you God you know <laughs> but when I get to heaven I'm not going to have that I'm going to work on it here okay but let me tell you something if you if you don't like me just wait till I, I we get to heaven you're going to love me in heaven <laughs> because the things that irritate you about me they're they're going to be gone and and, and, and guess what? The things that irritate me about you are going to be. I mean, we're going to have a great time, right? I, I mean, it's going to be. It's going to be good. That's heaven, earth. There are things that go on, and you know, even my own dumb decisions sometimes that that cause our world to shake. So whatever God's up to, He wants to use it for good. That's what we're going to see in this book of Daniel, that God wants to do something. Good, so that's the second thing. Anytime your world is shaken up, look for ways that God might use it for good. Quit trying to fix the blame and look for what God is trying to do because he's always trying to do good. Jeremiah 29, 11, God says, the plans I have for you are plans for good and not to harm you. They're plans to give you a hope and a future. In Daniel's life, God did five good things with the problems he had to face and they're the same five things that God does when problems come in to our life today so you might want to write these down the first thing the first good thing when God shakes things up it's to reveal myself to me when God shakes things up he's trying to reveal myself to me somebody said people are a lot like a bag of tea you don't know what's in them until you drop them in hot water have you experienced that And God uses those problems to see inside of, he already knows, he already knows, he already sees it, but he wants me to see it. He he wants me to know it. Look what it says in Jeremiah 17, 10. Only the Lord knows, he searches all hearts and examines the deepest motives so he can give to each person his right reward according to his deeds, how he's lived. Here's a big secret about life. In life, what you do, what you do in life is not nearly important to God as why you do it. A, a lot of us get caught up trying to, I gotta find God's will, and we're trying, like it's a little bitty dot that if we miss it, everything's bad. Really, the will of God, the Bible says, is like a giant umbrella. It's like this, it's like the, this roof of, of our building here. These are his principles. If you stay under it, this is just an example, you stay under that, then there's so much movement, there's so much freedom, and there's choices that you can make people that you can marry. See, some of you, you thought, I, I, I married the wrong person. I, there was a, like one person that God had for me to marry and I missed her. But see, the problem with that is that you married her and that other guy over there, he was, he was supposed to marry her, but you married her. And then, you know, then I was supposed to marry So, And everybody's like, and pretty soon, all of us are married to the wrong person. You see how that gets so confusing? And some of you are going, well, that explains it right there. I got that's thank you. I can go home now. No, here's the deal: it's 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 just like there's this, look for those things that God says to look for in a man as you're looking for that man that you want to marry, for that woman that you want to marry. See, so he's much more interested in your integrity than he is in your image. Image is what everybody else can see. We're so into that. In the in the u.s today but the truth is god says who are you when nobody's looking have you ever thought about why it took the israelites 40 years to get across the desert when they were going from egypt out of bondage out of slavery into the promised land it takes about it takes about a week actually to walk across that desert and they're 40 years look what god says in deuteronomy 8:2. he says god led you all the way in the desert these 40 years to humble you and to test you in order to know what was in your heart, whether or not you'd keep his commands. And by the way, when God takes you through a desert, when you're in the wilderness of life, it's for the same reason. It's when you can't feel God at all, that's what a desert is. When you don't have feelings, maybe you don't have any feelings, maybe you have stuffed all of them because it's so painful right now and you're almost numb. But God is going like, do you still trust me? Do you still trust my heart? When you don't feel close to God, when it feels like he's a million miles away, do you still trust him? You really can't know where your faith is until you don't have any feelings. See, God doesn't look at how high we jump during a great worship service. He looks at how we walk when we don't have any feelings. Are we still walking with him? Are we still saying, I trust your heart for me? And and that's not an easy thing to do. So the question we want to ask ourselves on this first good thing that God does is, what does this problem reveal about me? What are you trying to show me about me? Another thing God does when he shakes things up, he he shakes things up to set me straight. He, He sets things up to set me straight, to correct me. This is what happened to Israel two and a half millennia ago. They'd fallen into idolatry and God said, I'm going to cure you of that addiction. And he took 25% of them away to Babylon for 70 years. Did you know that there's no record of Israel ever falling back into idolatry again after that? They'd done it over and over and over up to this point. After this, never again. He cured them. God corrects, the Bible says, look, all of his children. If he doesn't correct you. That you don't really belong to him. God corrects us for our own good. He wants us to be holy as he is. It's never fun to be corrected. In fact, at the time, it's painful. But if we learn to obey by being corrected, we will do right and live at peace. Did you benefit from correction growing up? Did you? Of course you did. I mean, if not, then you never bathe, even to this day, right? Because I don't, I, Nobody, no little kid ever wants to bathe. You know, I remember my mom one time saying, Mark, did you wash behind your ears? And and I said, who would ever think to look back there? You know, I mean, you just don't. So so your parents make you do that and you grow from that. Someone cared enough to correct you. As a parent, is it difficult to correct your kids? It is sometimes, isn't it? it? it it's hard. You know, my dad used to say when he was gonna, give me a spanking he would say this is going to hurt me more than it hurts you and I was going I don't think that's true I'm pretty sure that's not right you know and and now you know as a parent and a grandparent I know exactly what he's talking about but God he corrects us because he's trying to do something when he spoke the 10 commandments and Moses chiseled them into tablets up there on Mount Sinai he spoke And the Bible says he spoke so loud that the people down in the valley could hear him. and, And the whole place trembled. Hebrews 12, 26 and 27 says this. When God spoke from Mount Sinai, his voice shook the earth. But now he says, I will not only shake the earth, but the heavens too. By this he means that he will sift out everything without a solid foundation. So that only the unshakable things will be left. It's kind of like sifting flour or wheat or something. He's, he's saying, I'm gonna get all of this temporary stuff out of your life. You're getting caught up in things that are not God. They're idols. And all of us have them. And I want you to know that what I'm saying to you is that I'm gonna shake this, and when I shake this, it's gonna sift you. C.S. Lewis put it this way, God whispers to us in our pleasure, But he shouts to us in our pain. So here's the question. You might want to write this down somewhere. What is this problem teaching me? What is God? Instead of saying why me and ask what? What should I be learning? The other thing God does. He shakes things up to point me in the right direction. So he sets me straight. But then he wants to point me in the right direction. The Bible says this. We can make our plans but the Lord determines our steps. How does God direct your steps? One of the big ways, problems. That's how He directs your steps. H- have you noticed that problems often change your plans? Has, has has that happened in your life? Your problems change your plans. Pain is a powerful motivation to change. We don't change necessarily when we see the light. We change when we feel the heat, right? And, and when it gets hot enough, we change. Proverbs, the wisest man who ever lived, Proverbs twenty thirty. he says sometimes it takes a painful experience to make us change our ways. When David's life fell apart, he wrote this, I have thought about my life and I've directed my feet back to your written instructions. His life had fallen apart and because he was down and out and his life had fallen apart, he got back to God's word. He probably didn't even think about it until the problem came. Think about this, if you had a disease that you didn't feel it didn't hurt you, you probably would never go to your doctor about it, would you it It's when the pain comes that 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 it gets our attention. you know guys that it, it said that you know so many of us we die of that first heart attack that we have because we haven't felt any pain from heart disease, and so we've never done anything about it and and God uses problems to prod us and poke us and push us and prompt us to get going. So here's the question you might wanna ask yourself. Where is this problem leading me? God, is this problem leading me somewhere? And then another good thing that God does, God shakes things up to protect me. Sometimes God shakes things up to protect us. Sometimes the pain protects you from something worse a bigger problem some of you are saying God I don't understand why I didn't get that job with this company I don't I mean I was so qualified and I knew it was down to the two of us and I knew it was going to be me and it wasn't me and I don't understand how could you do and God's going like you have no idea what I saw out there whether it was a relationship that you developed with a co-worker that led to an affair I see it happening out ahead of you and you ask me Do your will in my life? Keep me walking with you? And I just did. And now you're all mad at me about it? See, God can see so far out and we don't see any of it. I read this week about a guy who, uh, he worked for a, a, a pretty good sized corporation and they said, we need you to do this. And he said, but that's unethical. And they said, yeah, it is, but we need you to do it. And finally he just told them, I'm a believer in Jesus. I'm not trying to come off as some, you know, big self-righteous person. That's But but I can't do that. So they fired him. And he lost his pension. Now, I would say that's a pretty big shake-up, right? But did you know two months later, the government came in all over those guys, and all of those other ones now are in jail with a 20-year sentence. I think God was protecting him from something, right? So would you rather not have your pension or would you rather be in jail for 20 years? Some of you are going like, huh, let me think about, you know. No, it's not much of a question, is it? So sometimes we are, have things happen to us and it's painful because of doing the right thing. That's what happened to Joseph. Joseph had this dream from God that he was gonna be a great leader. But the first 40 years of his life were chaos. I mean, first his brothers got jealous of him and they sold him into slavery and Egypt. And then he's working in this guy's house as a, as a, a slave and the guy promotes him because he's such a hard worker but he's a good looking guy and, and, and the Potiphar was his master and Potiphar's wife says, I, I would like to have an affair with this guy so she goes in and, 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 and grabs his outer robe and says, lay with me and he says, I won't sin against God and against my master and he tries to break loose and she just pulls him right out of his outer robe and so she has it and she's angry and spurned and so she goes to her husband and said, this guy tried to rape me, and he left his his outer robe behind you to prove it. So they threw him in jail. So then he's in jail. I mean, everything's going wrong when he's doing the right things, but then God turns it around, and he's brought up, and he ends up saving Egypt and Israel and others from this big famine. And his brothers are before him at some point as he's a ruler, and they're afraid he's going to... Kill him, And he said, you intended it for evil, but God moved it. He intended it for good. That's what, that's what God does. He does these things for us. You intended to harm me, but, but God intended it for good. I'm not naive. There are people in your life that might want to harm you. There are people in your life that don't have good intentions toward you. But did you know that if you follow God full out, you'll see in this book of Daniel... That God can thwart that and he can even make their bad intention something good in your life. He's bigger than those people. God shakes things up to protect you. It's kind of like a fever. You know, when you get a fever, what I tend to do is say, I need to get rid of this fever. Is the fever the problem? No. The fever is a symptom. The fever is actually doing some healing. There's something else going on that's the problem. And that's when you get all down and discouraged. And all, What's going on? There's a symptom. That's a, there's something else going on. And this, this small pain can alert you to something, maybe even a life-threatening disease. You've got, you've got to stop believing the lies about yourself, about others. Disappointments can actually be God's appointments. He appoints them. Sometimes God removes a harmful person from your life and it breaks your heart. Can I just tell you, when God does that, don't run after them. Please don't run after them. Some of you just maybe needed to hear me say that today. Don't do that. He's doing it to protect you. So ask this question, how could this problem protect me? And then the fifth way that God shakes things up for good, he shakes things up to grow me. To grow me. Grace grows best In the Winter is a book written by Margaret Clarkson, and I could tell you a thousand conversations over the last couple of decades as a pastor when people said, you know, I grew more during that separation. I grew more during that time when I was without a job. I I grew more, I grew closer to God. Laura always tells me I grew so close to God during cancer when I didn't know if I was gonna live or die. I, I wouldn't give that up for anything. Even the, the, the effects of cancer that she has since then. And chemo and all the stuff that, that affected her body. She says, it was worth it. It was so worth it. Because I know God in a whole different way. Pain is the high cost of growth. Look what 1 Peter 5.10 says. He says, after you've suffered for a little while, the God of all grace who calls you to share his eternal glory in union with Christ will himself, himself perfect you and give you firmness, strength, and a sure foundation. So ask yourself, how can I grow from this problem? The bottom line is our problems are really not our problem. You know what our problem is? Our response to that. So here's the last simple suggestion and we'll close with this. Trust God for what I don't understand. When there's a problem in my life and I go, this problem doesn't make sense, which is gonna be just about every problem that comes into your life, isn't it? God, I don't understand what you're doing. Look at these last two verses. Since the Lord is directing our steps, why try to understand everything that happens along the way? Proverbs 20, 24, the wisest man who ever lived. Why do you try, the Lord is directing your steps. You're not gonna get it. If I ever got a tattoo, I would, Put that verse as my tattoo right here on my arm because I need to remember that. You know, it's like, why? I don't understand God. I don't get it. It's kind of like an ant trying to understand the internet, right? It's not gonna happen. You're not gonna get it. You're trying to understand what God is doing. God is going, here's the question. I know it's hard. I know that you're being sifted. I know that these problems have come. Do you trust God? my heart, do you trust my heart, well God I would but I don't feel that, You feels like you're a million miles away, I, I, I know what your feelings are, I'm asking you a faith question not a feeling question and see we get that confused because so much, we, we, if I feel this or feel that then I'm close to, God goes it's irrelevant what you feel, it's the same as marriage, you know that right? Feelings are gonna come and go in marriage, right? You don't wake up every morning and look over at that guy with his morning beard and morning breath and go, I love you, right? It, it, it's like it, 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 Jesus is going, do you trust me? Do you know that my intentions towards you are good? Proverbs 3, five and six says, trust the Lord with all your heart. Don't depend on your own understanding. Honor the Lord in everything you do and he will give you success. I want you to survive in a culture that's becoming increasingly hostile to Christianity. But I want you to do more than survive. I want you to thrive. I want you to be promoted. I want you to move through the ranks. I want you to see what happened in the life of Daniel. We've really doubled down, tripled down, quadrupled down on prayer here at Community of Faith in these last few months. I mean, I've always known this to be true. In the early days of the church, we were on our face all of the time because we knew it was so far beyond us. And sometimes it's easier when, when you, you learn how to do something and, and, and everybody knows how to do it and you kind of just go and, and, and you do your job. But did you know that prayer is the work the Bible says? Teaches us really clearly. And everything else we do is just reaping the harvest of that. We studied Thursday night at First Thursday where we do prayer and praise. Laura talked about it. How when God, when Jesus gave us that Lord's prayer, that model prayer. He said, Father, I honor your name. You're a big father. You love us. And no one had ever called him father before. They thought he was distant and far. And he goes, no, you're father that cares. Let your name be praised. Hallowed be your name. And then he spoke in command form. It's imperative tense in the Greek. He says, come, kingdom of God. Be done, will of God. He said, this is how I want you to pray. See, sometimes these problems are in your life because you are saying, come, kingdom of God, upon me and my family. Be done, will of God, upon me and my family. But if you haven't prayed that, I want you to begin to pray that like crazy. He gave us authority. He said, when you pray, pray like this. Come, kingdom of God, be done, will of God, for that wayward child, for, for that addiction that you're you're trying to break, for wisdom to know what decisions to make, for even the things that keep problems in and out of your life. When you say, come, kingdom of God, upon me and my family, come, kingdom of God, upon my workplace, come, kingdom of God, then He's gonna move and problems are still gonna come but they're gonna be moving you somewhere. Be done, will of God. Maybe there's some area of your life right now as we begin this series that you know. I I don't know what you wanna do, God. I, I haven't been trusting you but I'm gonna just say right now, come kingdom of God upon this.